0: And shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We are live, we are on time, we have audio visual and Torah parsha communication. Today, we are in Torah portion, Yitro, in the King Jimmy, Jethro. We've got a lot to dig in today. I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed that you're here tuning in. Give us some thumbs up. Greet one another in the chat. And if you're watching this later, then connect with one another at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect on all of our community platforms. You can gather With brethren the world over six days a week and make friends, make connections. And I am so blessed that people are coming together. Remember, It is coming up on the Feast of Yahweh. We have Pesach, Passover, fast approaching the first few days of Roman month, April this year, of course, Aviv in the Hebrew. And plan on coming up to Oregon if you can. If you can't, then we'll connect you with others in your locale. Let's delve into the scriptures today. We are in Shemot, Exodus 18, and we are looking through all the way to the end of Exodus Shemot chapter 20. We begin with Yitro, Yitro 's advice. Now, Yitro can mean abundance. Now he was, of course, the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu. And Yitro, a priest of Midian, it is written, Moshe's father-in-law heard of all that Elohim had done for Moshe and for Israel, his people. Right here, we get into a portion of Scripture that really sets the stage for how we are to have delegated responsibility. It's the principle of of delegation. It's about sharing the burden. No one man can do it all. We must have captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, captains of tens, and we all work together as Israel. There's no Nicolation pyramid system here. This is a delegation of responsibility in Torah. And the one who has the ultimate responsibility and delegation over us all is, of course, the one who sits in Moshe's seat. Now, look at this. This is a very interesting Teaching with the principle of delegation. It's about Yahuwah's theocratic government. And it's spoken about, and Yahushua brings it to its fullness, its fruition, its full vision in Matthew chapter 23. Now, we can see in the text, in chapter 18, verse 13, And so it was on the next day that Moshe sat to judge the people. This is where we get the phrase, the seat of Moses or the seat of Moshe. Or if you go into an Orthodox synagogue, you would have the seat or the Bema seat. And some of you may remember the early days of Torah to the tribes where I sat upon a throne. Those were the rabbinic days, and we have come a long way since then. And I no longer know where the throne is. But some of you can look back in the archives and see me sitting upon the seat of Moshe. And oh my goodness, I'm so glad that I got knocked right off of that. (laughs) But what you see in Matthew 23 is a problem. It's called the added valve. The added vav, or wa in the Hebrew. So, turn with me to Matthew 23. We're going to look at the principle of delegation, and has the Christian church got it right? Has the Messianic movement got it right? Has Judaism got it right? Or is Yahweh going to show his people today, through the Malchizedek priesthood, the proper delegation of sharing the burden? using this principle. Let's turn to Matichahu, Matthew chapter 23. Now, those of you that got the Shem Tov Matthew or Shem Tov Matichahu, I recommend that translation above all. Now, remember, we're in the 23rd chapter of Matthew here. We cannot forget what went before. So far, in the narrative of the gospel, what's Yehusha's charge of the Pharisees and Sadducees? That they're good blokes, that you should do everything that they say and follow after their traditions? Is that where we're at so far? Context, context, context. The context of the Gospels in relation to Yehusha and the Pharisees is what? Well, you'd have to go back to Matthew chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 16, and you would see... That he charges them what? Why do you also transgress the commandments of Yahweh because of your tradition? So he has a problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wants you to follow the commandments. And who wrote the commandments? Moshe Rabbeinu. He's not telling you to follow the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's already charged them. They're a brood of vipers, brood of vipers, they're a den of thieves. He's already charged them, and he goes on and makes that very, very clear in Matthew chapter 15. He makes that very, very clear with the parable of the leaven as well. So you can't forget that. Now, with those eyes, let's read Matthew 23 in the King Jimmy and see if it makes any sense. Then Yahushua spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moshe's seat. This is reflecting back now to Torah, Parsha, Yitro. He's teaching the principle of delegation of responsibility and authority of who ultimately sits in Moshe's seat. Before Yehusha, who sat in Moshe's seat? Moshe. But now Yahusha has come, he's communicating something different. The one greater than Moshe is now here. We have a greater mediator than Moshe, says the writer of the book of Hebrews. And it's all about the principle of delegation recorded as in who sits in Moshe's seat. Therefore, the King Jimmy says, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe. And do, but do not do according to the works, for they say and do not do. Does that make any sense in relation to what went before in Matthew 13 and Matthew 15? It does not. It does not. Yahushua would not be instructing the multitude to follow whatever they, the Pharisees, told them to observe according to Matthew 15. He is not contradicting himself. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind guides. He calls them a brood of vipers. What is going on here? There is a difference between two Hebrew words. And you would have to go to the text of the Shem Tov to see it. And the only difference in these two Hebrew words is one Hebrew letter, a vav or a wah. And the added wah changes everything. And the King Jimmy picks up the error in translation, and error begets error, and everybody stumbles down the centuries of tradition. Because what the King Jimmy has actually translated here. Is the pen of the scribes. And we're to watch the pen of the scribes, it says in Jeremiah, the iron pen of the scribes, the blind guides. Because they write, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moshe's seat. Therefore, whatever Yom chru, Yom chru they tell you, do. Yom Ru is spelt yod aleph mem resh vav yomru whatever they the pharisees tell you to do that do well that makes no sense it's a total contradiction of matthew 15 oh but there's another hebrew word that looks so similar and it's called yomar the hebrew word yomar is spelled exactly the same except It doesn't have the added vav. It's spelt yod, aleph, mem, chresh. There is no vav on the end. And that word is what is supposed to be here in the text. And then if that word was in the text, this is how it would read. This is the corrected translation. Then Yahushua spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moshe's seat. Therefore, whatever he... Moshe tells you to observe that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. Do whatever the Torah of Moshe teaches you to do, but do not do the works of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Does that make sense? The added vav played into antinomian doctrines. It's that simple context otherwise we fall into the traditions of lawlessness but really what should be here is the Hebrew word Yomar which means he whatever he Moses tells you to do do why because Moses, Moshe, sits in Moses' seat. And now one greater than Moshe comes along, and he, whatever he tells you to do, you should now do. And it is going to be in perfect harmony with Moshe's Torah. But we must be in the book of the covenant of Torah, not the book of the law added for transgression Torah, which is where we're going to go next in Exodus, Shemot, chapter 19 and 20. Does that make sense? So the difference here, make a note in your Bibles, in Matthew chapter 23, is to cross out they and put he. And the Hebrew word for he is Yomar, and it's spelt Yod, Aleph, Mem, resh. Now they is the Hebrew word yombru. It shouldn't be in the text because that is the error of the scribes. The funky monks and those who follow the iron pen. And that is spelt yod aleph mem resh with the added Vav on the end. That's all I've got to say on that. But anyway, let's get back. Don't want to go too far afield. I think that's a good introduction. That's enough advice from Jethro Right there. But now we come into the fabulous text. They've been set free from Egypt. I pose a question for you. Because according to the traditions of they that follow the translation, the erroneous translation of Matthew 23, which we've just cleared up, they would say that the law, the Torah, is bondage, correct? You're no longer under the law. That's bondage. I have a question. What kind of tyrant would set you free from bondage and slavery in Egypt only to take you to the mountain and put you in bondage? That's called tyranny. Is that the Elohim that you serve? Because the Elohim that I serve is called the El of Israel. And there are two identifying factors to that Elohim. Firstly he has a name Yod Hey Wa Hey and your pronunciation of it is and there is a particular day of the week that is sanctified and set apart and he's the only el that commands that you do that it's called shabbat those are the two identifiers of the elohim whom you and I serve. If you kick out his name and you kick out the Shabbat, then these commandments can apply to any pagan god. That's why if you look, and we'll discuss this a little bit later, and you go into, a, say, a Christian bookstore or a Hallmark card store and you look at the Ten Commandments, they have them numbered incorrectly because they they get rid of the first commandment, I am Yahuwah, Your Elohim who delivered you from slavery, from Mitzrayim. They get rid of that, the identifier of the El. And then they take the second commandment, which is one commandment about idolatry, and they split it into two. And then they kick out the commandment on Shabbat. And now you can serve any Nicene creed of a god that you want. And you get caught up into a bunch of funky monkey business. But those are the identifiers of who our Elohim is. For me, when I came to know his name and I started to keep Shabbat, that brick of Shabbat and that brick of his name collapsed the walls of tradition in my life. It's that simple. If you truly want to know Yahuwah, study his name. It's Yod-Heh-Wah-Heh and your pronunciation of it is. And we come together in echad unity. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to um, break fellowship with you over a pronunciation. Now, if you're gonna say he's got some other different name which is an attribute, then we may have a bit of a problem there because that's gonna cause division. And Shabbat is Shabbat. Six days you shall work and the seventh day you shall rest. These are qualifiers of the El that we serve. And it is powerful, and it's all in our Torah portion. But I digress. We're in Exodus Shemot chapter 19. Israel now comes to the mountain. This is a betrothal and wedding ceremony. Yahweh now is going to do the proposal ceremony. And he proposes to Israel here in Exodus Shemot chapter 19. He proposes to Israel in chapter 19, and you can see it right here. And when there is this ceremony, there are four things that are part of this ceremony there is a proposal, then there is an acceptance, then there is a blood ratification, and then there is a covenant confirming meal. Now, this shows and demonstrates the elements of the Melchizedek priesthood. There will always be a proposal, an acceptance of that proposal, which leads to blood ratification of a covenant and then a covenant confirming meal. And you'll see this whenever the elements of a Melchizedek covenant of promise Ephesians tells you the covenants of promises are for you is manifest. It's always going to have those four elements, always, always, always. So people, my detractors, would say, oh, look, there's a covenant here. Oh, there's all kinds of covenants. There's shoe covenants, salt covenants, this covenant, that covenant. But Malkitzedic covenants will always have a proposal, an acceptance a blood ratification, and a covenant-confirming meal. I ask you this question. What did Yahushua do when he came in riding on a donkey? Did he propose to all Israel? And what did they respond? What was their respond? response? Hosanna in the highest, acceptance and then he was taken to the tree, and there was blood ratification, and there was, of course, on the very same day, a covenant-confirming meal. Was that Zedek in origin? Absolutely, because he officiated over his own crucifixion as the Melchizedek high priest, and ascended upon high and did the work of redemption for you and I. So we can see the proposal right here in verse 3. And Moshe went up to Yah, and Yahuwah called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Yaakov, and tell the children of Israel and here's the proposal well you've he's kind of like puffing his chest like a robin a red a red-breasted robin you've seen what i've done for you i'm look at my magnificence You see what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you. I carried you upon eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. This is bridal, Hebraic bridal language coming into my bedchamber, coming into my bridal canopy. I bring you, I want to bride and marry you. This is what is the communication here. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure. Now, if you look at that word in the Hebrew, it's going to relate. Who is Yahweh's special treasure? It's Israel. Israel is always Yahweh's special treasure. It's not a New Testament church. It's not the Mormon temple. It is Israel, all 12 tribes and the sojourner, a multi-ethnic mixed multitude that comes together and gets married. So beautiful. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenants, then you will be to me a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which I shall speak to the children of Israel. So there is the proposal. There is the proposal, and this sets the whole stage for the book of the covenant. Now, the book of the covenant in particular is from Shemo, Exodus 19, verse 5, and extends all the way through to Exodus chapter 24, verse 11. Verse 11, okay? That is the book of the covenant, and you'll see it actually described by those words in, of course... Um, Exodus chapter 24, you'll see um, the affirmation of that covenant and the covenant confirming meal in Exodus chapter 24. But that's not this week's Torah portion, so I get ahead of myself. But you have a proposal. Now, when did Israel accept? All that remember there's thunderings and lightnings and the children of Israel are told to abstain from intimate relationships with their wives for 3 days they're to go and have a mikveh immersion they're to go and stay away from the foot of the mountain if everyone anyone comes up and crosses that threshold that's bridal language right there you cross the threshold then they're going to be smitten down only Moshe is able to hear the thunders the lightnings and Israel said Moshe, you go talk to Yahuwah. We don't want to. We're terrified. All that Yahuwah says, we shall do and obey. That's their acceptance. And then in chapter 24, we'll get the blood ratification, which is a sprinkling of the blood over the book of the covenant by name. And then Moshe Rabbeinu goes up and on a sea of glass, like in Revelation, he has a covenant confirming meal with the elders, seventy elders of Israel, representing all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all ethnic sister tees—that's a long word, big word for me today—of peoples. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. This is us. We are Israel. Hi, life. And Yahweh is doing it. He's gathering you, all twelve tribes, and this ministry is what we are about, gathering people from all over the world to wake up and come out of her, my people, because this is powerful and we are going to live as a kingdom of priests on this earth, literally speaking before kings and judges to be able to communicate to let my people go out of slavery. Because you are set free and you are able to come out of captivity. We want to leave the public and come and live in the privacy of Yahuwah's kingdom. But you cannot sow your field with two diverse species. You cannot be lukewarm. You've got to either decide if you want to live in the public and take part of all the public benefits, then you can't live in the private. You can't mix the two. You're gonna to have to make a decision in this next season. I've made my decision. But as for you, you guys are gonna to have to do that too, but you can't do both. You have to either be public or private. The public right now, that's what most people are doing because you get all the privileges and all the benefits. But whenever there's a privilege accepted, there is a penalty incurred. Do you want that? I certainly don't. So I am get rid of everything public and now move into the private. And there you have freedom because you're not accepting any privileges and you're not accepting any benefits. I don't want them. I don't need them. I don't care. I would rather be free. You can keep your benefits and you can keep your privilege. I'd rather be the man on the earth that Yahweh created me to be. That's just me. That's my preaching on that. But now we get, of course, into the Ten Commandments so-called. It's actually more than ten because we'll see. But here, this is so important because it is ten commandments and not just eight. Meaning you can't kick out the first, split the two, and get rid of the fourth, which is Shabbat. Because really... Broken commandments mean a broken relationship. Not only with your fellow man, but with Yahuwah, first and foremost. If you want to connect to the Creator, you have to keep His commandments. We're not saved by keeping commandments, but they are interrelationary. Both horizontal with my fellow man and Vertical with Yahuwah. Case in point, right? Let's talk about my fellow man. What's the 10th commandment? You shall not what? Cover. If I break the 10th commandment, okay, then what happens next? 9, 8, 7, 6. It's real simple, okay? Let's just give you an example. If you go down the list... And this is now talking about the vertical relationship with man. Somebody starts to covet. They start to covet their neighbor's house or their neighbor's wife or the male servant or female. The next thing they're going to do is what? They're going to then bear false witness. Somebody sees what you want, sees what you have. And they want it. That's called covetousness. They feel like, you know what, I should have that. You know, I've worked hard. I, I, I should have that. So then the next thing is they're going to bear false witness. And then the next thing after that, they're going to try and steal. They're going to try and place a lien in this world because that's the next step. And then after that, adultery spiritually and physically and then you know what they're just going to want to kill you they're going to slander you they're going to make try and make your name that is how it, this is the world don't be surprised when people do that to you especially if you're successful i don't know anybody that doesn't comprehend this. This is called interrelationships. And the way that we can be preserved from that kind of despotism and immoral, where it eats up a person's life and their soul, miserable people, is by coming into the household of Israel of blessing, where we have relationship man-to-man according to the Torah of Yahuwah. Firstly, because I have a connection with the Creator vertically. But I can't have a a connection with the Creator vertically if I don't even know who His name is. Well, what Elohim are you serving? Because, you know, there's a ton of gods out there. My Elohim has a name. He has an identifier, and he is the only L that delivered a mixed multitude out of Egypt from slavery and brought them to the mountain under Moshe Rabbeinu. That's my Elohim. That is who he is. And his identifier is that I work for six days of the week, but on the seventh day I rest. It's called Shabbat. That's the Elohim. There is no other God on this world that does that. It's that simple. The God of Rome doesn't do it. The God of Islam doesn't do it. The God of the Indian religions doesn't do it no there's only one true living L and that is who he is is that clear but it's not clear is it because if you go into a christian bookstore we've kicked out the first commandment we've taken the second commandment and the third com- the second commandment and split it into two and then you've kicked out the fourth commandment, the qualifier of resting on the Shabbat, and you've turned it to church Sunday. No wonder everybody's confused. And then they misread Matthew chapter 23, and they say, well, you know what, the laws of Moses, that's a heavy burden, that's bondage. Well, hang on a minute. That's, are you saying that the Elohim that we serve is a tyrant, that he delivered a people out of bondage just to put them back into bondage at the mountain? That's tyranny. That's despotism. No, he didn't do that. What's our testimony? Does that make sense? Now, there's another way to look at these commandments, and that's with allegory and metaphor. There are the ten right here, and you can read them literally, and they are literal, and we should keep them literally. But also, number one, we need to look at the composition of Yahweh. There is no triunity. There is no dust nature. Yahuwah is one hundred percent Yahuwah, zero percent man. And Yahusha came along in the form and fullness of El in bodily form, yes. But his body was from the heavens, not the dust. So that's a identifier on commandment number one. Number two, when you see number two, commandment number two is really about what? It's about guarding the Torah. Because if you guard the Torah, you're not going to fall into idolatry. The problem with the nations who follow the Council of Nicaea, papal bull and Protestantism, is that they often fall into idolatry with Christmas and Easter. Why? Because they're not following the Torah. The Torah is what guards you from transgressing commandment number two. That's why the Torah is so important. Number three, the true name of Yahuwah, of course, is so important. You shall not bring the name of Yahuwah to vain emptiness. You don't hide it and place it and replace it with Hashem. You don't hide it and replace it with the name of of a British land agent close to seven thousand times. Lord. Lord of the manor. He's not the Lord of the manor. If you look up Lord in the Webster's dictionary, of course it tells you it's the name of Baal, a deity, a false god. So he's not the Lord. And remember, Elijah, when he was on the mountain, he says, Do not be betwixt two opinions. And if you look at it in the Hebrew, if you're going to serve the Lord, Baal, serve the Lord. But if you're going to serve Yahuwah, yod Hey wah serve Yahuwah. And traditional Christianity would make the wrong choice there. They go, oh, we're going to serve the Lord. No, 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 we don't serve the Lord. That's Baal. We serve yod Hey wah Yahuwah, or your pronunciation is you see, I'm about bringing Yahuwah's people in, even if you pronounce the name differently than me. Because you would look back historically and see how I've pronounced the name differently over the years. But it's always been a variant pronunciation of the four Hebrew letters, Yod, Hey, Waw, Hey. Some would say Vav, but Waw is the more ancient, going back to the Paleo no division here. It's about unity in biblical truth. Not unity for blooming unity's sake. Then we look at the fourth commandment, Shabbat. We've got to Shabbatums up. We've got to have Shabbat. Shabbat Shabbatums up. Shabbat Shalom. Okay? And the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father so that your... It's a... it's a commandment of long life. Now, medically, women that harbor ill towards their mothers, it manifests oftentimes in breast cancer. This is, this, this is a truth. Okay? Because it does. We have to honor our mother and our father. But we also need to honor our Hebrew mothers and fathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of course, Rachel, Rebecca, and Sarah. So we have to think about this. This is very important. The sixth commandment, do not murder. But so many times people say, well, I don't murder. But what about Lashon Hara, murdering with your tongue? How many times do you murder with your tongue another person? Think about it. First John chapter three, verse 14. First Peter speaks about it too. "Oh, the tongue! Can we get hold of it? Can we get it? Is it? It is a wicked, evil thing, isn't it? And what about the seventh? Well, the seventh commandment, "You shall not commit adultery." Well, really again, if you're not doing Torah, your sexual appetite is going to be off the bloomin reservation especially in today's modern world. Torah defines your sexual appetite. That's why we do Torah, because otherwise you'll end up like the nations. So that's the purpose of Torah. It puts limits. Dogs are limitless. Pigs are, you want to live like an animal? Then do whatever thy will. That's a quote from the book of Satan do whatever thy will." No, we don't do whatever thy will. We do thy Father in Heaven's will, which means we restrict our appetites. Leviticus, Vayikra chapter 11, I don't get to eat anything I want. Even if it is a lobster with garlic butter, I don't get to do that because there is a restriction of my appetite. And that applies sexually. Restricted appetites makes holy people. Brings brings forth multiplicity of tribal brethren. Yeah? Yes. And of course, now, do not steal is the eighth mitzvot. Do not steal. Well, also, do not steal Yahuwah's tithe. Think about it. This is a commandment. And it comes from the first mention of tithe. You go back to the first mention of tithe. Is with Malkit Zedek. A tenth of all. Malkit Zedek. The ninth commandment, of course, is you shall not bear false witness. Don't spread an evil rapport. There's got to be Three witnesses. And a husband and wife, that's only one witness. Because they are besar echad, one flesh. Correct? Of course, of course. So you can't have joint interests. You can't have joint interests. You have to have a plurality of witnesses. And the tenth, there are no greener pastures. Grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. Really simple, isn't it? That's kind of metaphor and allegory. Of course, we take it literally, but you can see how you can build and develop a one upon these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful scriptural truth. Now, the interesting thing now is Zedek in origin is the. Torot of the altar here in Exodus, Shemot, chapter 20, verse 22. And this has caused a lot of confusion over the years. People have said, well, you know, the Melchizedek priesthood, I get the Melchizedek priesthood. I get the book of the covenant. Yahusha has brought us into the book of the covenant. I see it right there in Exodus nineteen five. I see it all the way through to Exodus twenty four eleven. I get it. I get it proposal acceptance blood ratification covenant confirming meal and right now if you're wondering what's he talking about go and look at our Malkiedizedek series. I think it's called entitled Malchiedizedek 101 and you'll be able to come and comprehend too. But here you've got the law of the altar we're not this is before there's any construction of a tabernacle. So was there sacrifices under the Malchiedizedek priesthood? Well, there was. But look at it. There was only ever two sacrifices under the Malki priesthood. And they were burnt offerings and peace offerings. Because with the burnt offering, it would be flayed open and a fire would pass between the pieces representing the covenant between the pieces of Bereshit, Genesis chapter 15, correct? Where Abraham flayed open the pieces and there was a burning torch and a flaming oven, or a flaming torch and a burning oven, one or t'other, I always mix that up, passing between the pieces. And then the fire between the pieces sin. Is fully consumed with the burnt offering the sin is fully consumed and then what does that lead you to peace is Yahusha the burnt offering yes and does he lead you to a peace offering he is the Sar Shalom the Prince of Peace so there's nothing that changed it just got transferred to Yahusha himself as the Kohen Haggadah, he was flayed and he was burnt. And I've done the teaching on how they attempted to burn him while he was on the tree. Because that was always the condemnation of that crime, was to be burnt upon the tree, stoned and burnt. And I've done that teaching and maybe somebody can put it up in the chat who um, is good? Who's the person nowadays that um, remembers all the teachings? Of course, we would have Mario right there putting it up in the chat. But now, who, 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 Brandon, hopefully much more truth can put that one up in the chat. There's a teaching where I talk about that. But it's very important. It's a very important part of the understanding. So, Then Yahweh said, verse 22 to Moshe, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from the heavens. You shall not make anything to be with me, Elohim of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth shall you make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. So, again, this is Zedek in itself. Burnt offerings and peace offerings, of course, represent the flaying of the pieces, the cutting of the covenant of Genesis chapter 15, and then peace is given. Fire, of course, goes between the pieces, representing that the sin is fully consumed. This sacrifice, of course, now is transferred over, and that is the writer of the book of Hebrews, I believe, explains that succinctly to us in chapters 8, 9, and 10. I won't go there much longer, but I hope that clears up a little bit of that confusion of why that appears there. Now what's really fascinating then is we get into chapter 21 and we come across a word that is spoken about and with all the disciples and all of the apostles and Paul uses it too, that we're to be bond servants of Yahushua. Bond servants of Yahusha. Now, when I first got into the Torah and I read this, this was like one of my third Torah portions. I actually had a guy take me to the doorpost and actually drive an awl through my ear because I'm like, I'm literally going to fulfill this commandment because I am a bond servant to Yahushua. So I did have an an awl driven through my ear on the doorpost of my house because that's what I did. I'm like, it's there, literally, yes, I'm going to fulfill it. Circumcision, right on. You know, I'm going to fulfill it. You know, I I mean, I every, literally you asked my wife, you know, I came across a commandment, we got to be doing this stuff. You know, cuz I was like coming out of the church where everything was spiritual. Now, the pendulum swung. <laughs> <laughs> Literal, okay? I am a bond servant to the master. I want to dwell in his house. I do not want to be set free into the nations. When anybody tries to strike me, when everybody, anybody tries to attack me, I don't have to defend myself. I go to my master. And my master goes and brings equity and I am set free from the controversy. Or you can go out there and argue and defend yourself and fight for yourself. That's the way the heathen lives. But I don't need to, because I'm not free. I am not free to defend myself. I'm not free to. I don't have to. I don't have to take that burden. I just come into the house, and the Father goes and deals with with the kings and the judges of this earth on my behalf in equity, and it is beautiful. This is the principle of being a bondservant. Paul did it. I, I taught you all through the book of Acts. The synagogue of Satan will try and track you down and hunt you down wherever you go, and they will try to drag you in to their controversies. Paul dealt with it all the way to Rome, but he always knew that the Father was there to bring forth his deliverance because he never went out of the house. He's like, I'm, I'm a bond servant. So yes, I've got scars. There you go. Driving an awl through your ear. This is really the epitome of Torah because all the commandments here are expanded on later throughout the New Testament. Really, Yahushua teaches these laws, the laws of servants, the laws of violence, in the Sermon on the Mount. Because really what you have in summary is in chapter 21, Shemot 21, you have the rights of all persons. The rights of all persons. I mean, if we're going to just get down to the nitty-gritty. And in verse 2, you've got the difference between murder and manslaughter. And the murder, the difference is the intent of the heart. It's the intent of the heart. That's the theme of the commandments. It's not an abrogation of the commandments. It's did you intend, what was your intent? And then in chapter chapter 22, you've got damage penalties resolved. And I had an issue one time, and I've shared this before, where my dog got through the fence, and he killed my neighbor's lamb. So I'm like, well, what do I do? Well, I go straight to the scripture, I see what it is, and I go to my neighbor, and I'm like, how much was that lamb worth? He's like, it's worth 70 bucks. I said, that's what you would've got if you had sold it. All right, 70 times five, and I gave him that much money. That's not because I'm some kind of great guy. I didn't want to do it. But because the Yahweh says to do it. So I'm not blowing my own horn like I'm some righteous guy. No, I didn't want to do that. Not in my natural man. I'd rather keep the extra for myself, right? Because that's the wicked kind of evil man that I naturally am. But I've been changed so I know where to go to find out what to do. And that was a witness to my neighbor. That was a witness to his wife, and they couldn't believe it. And then do you know what happened several years later? Another neighbor, his dog killed a sheep, and do you know what that neighbor did? Diddly squat. Didn't even make any restitution. So that was an even greater witness, wasn't it? So that's what we're to be. Animal control laws, responsibility of property, the law concerning violence. There are so many things, so many things. And you know, while we're on the subject of these things, one of the greatest disservices, of course, that has generational ramifications, has been the slave trade. And if Christianity had kept the commandments of Moshe, we would never have had the blooming slave trade. Because right here in this text, there is the dire prohibition of kidnapping other men. Just that simple. Do you realize what the laws of Moses could have done? All of the troubles and all of the resentments and ramifications that, of course, people are trying to stoke up now. If we had just kept the Torah, then none of that would have happened. But you see, Christianity wasn't keeping the Torah, so therefore they were kidnapping people and selling them. And that, if you do that, you die. You die, because it's just wicked as hell. Now, there's a difference between voluntary servitude. You're a, you're in debt, and you can either go into the pagan nations, or you can come to your brother and you say, "Hey, I'd be a bond servant." I you know, he says, "Okay, will you come in my house? Will you, I treat you with equality. You sit at my table. You eat the food that I f- eat. So you can't be bringing in a bacon butty, because we don't do that in here." Um, And you keep the feasts that I keep. So, you know, you can't be dragging in that tree and trying to plug it into electric. Oh, they didn't have electricity back then. But, you know, you get my point. A bond servant, chapter 21, is different than kidnapping and blooming slavery, which is prohibited in Scripture. But many people will say, well, the Old Testament, that says slavery is okay. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Bondservant is different. We are to be bondservants of Yahushua HaMashiach. I love this. We're to keep the commandments of servants. I don't want to be free. I want to be in my Father's house because I want him to go and deal with mine enemies, and I want him to go and bring forth the remedy that is available to me as a bondservant. But if I'm free in the nations, I have no remedy but what? Arguments. And that leads to plunder and division. Followers of Yahusha keep the commandments of servants, not the commandments of free men. We do not assert ourselves. We don't. We do not assert ourselves over our brother. We're all in this together. And I am so excited over the next season of what's to come into this ministry because we are gathering together, all of you, in the nations, all 12 tribes and the sojourner. We have people from all over the world that are getting the truth of the Malchizedek priesthood. and amazing things are going to be happening and your children will live as kings and priests on this earth whilst the nations are in servitude to benefits and privileges that will implode upon them very shortly. There is such freedom for us. It's living in the private and it is absolutely, absolutely powerful, powerful stuff. Oh my goodness, there's so much here. Where does the chapter continue on to? All the way through to, um, hit me up, Miss Tamara. Huh? 20 where? I already passed it. See, I just got through so much in such a short time. I wasn't even supposed to be into chapter 21. I already delved into next week's Torah part. I'm ahead. I can go on holiday. Where am I going to go? You can't bloody well go anywhere, can you? Crying out loud. Good night. Well, I know where I can go, but we won't say that publicly. (laughs) All right, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. That was fun, you know, it was a little bit of light flavor, wasn't it? All right, I'm still plugged in. Hey, put some stuff up in the chat, you guys in the chat. And remember, right now, give us some thumbs up. Thumbs up. Subscribe to the ministry channel, please. Hit that subscription button right now. And please consider donating to the ministry to support the great work of gathering so that we can do amazing things here in the future, community, 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 you are coming together. And it is, to me, so, so rich. Hallelujah. Yosef, I never knew they were supposed to burn Yahusha. Never heard that. Much more truth will give you the connection on that teaching, which teaching it is. Much more truth we will put that up in the chat. If he doesn't put it up in the chat now, I think he'll put it up in the comments section underneath later. All right, there's a lot of pressure on you, much more. Carlos Guzman, I can't see your seat seat. Obviously, they aren't standard length. No, because I no longer wear seat seat, because I am circumcised of heart. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. That was before the circumcision made without hands. You needed an outward sign to represent the inward change. Now I have the inward change. There is the outward performance of Kedushah, holiness. I haven't seen Mickey for a while. And Mickey says, well, first of all, Mickey, good to have you back. Shabbat shalom. Mickey McAvoy did I pronounce your name correctly in the back there? I don't think so. She says, Mary, I agree with Grandma. Plus, who knows that you take a stand for truth, they won't be convicted and then converted. Right, conviction and conversion. Ah, oh, thank you, Chris De La Rosa. It could possibly be the teaching, The Tree of Life Crushes Adam's Skull. I think that is the teaching where I talk about the burning and stoning of... Of Yahusha, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. I love it. And thank you more. Thank you, much more truth. At Carlos Guzman. Carlos was just trying to get a rise out of us all. Seat, um, seat. Our book of the law, not part of the covenant. Yeah, Carlos knows that. He was just trying to get a rise. He's just being a cheeky monkey. Yes, Diesel Grandma. Yes, Carlos is joking around. Yes. Yeah, Carlos is trying to pick a fight with Matthew. But you see, I don't have to fight with you, Carlos. I just go into my father's house and send my young son out now. Because <laughs> he's in the father's house with me. Ah, oh, man, I'm pumped up right now. Baruch Hashem. You know what? I need to do a teaching on Seat Seat Yosef because it's a, it's, a, it's a good, I think it would be a great teaching. I've done one before. These are Grandpa. Diesel Grandpa, Shabbat Shalom, my brother. Prayers for you and Diesel Grandma and your family. Always, I know you guys are going through a lot right now. Pray for our brothers and sisters up there in Snohomish County, please. They are great saints, but like many of us, are enduring trials and tribulations. So please pray for Diesel Grandma and Diesel Grandpa, and of course, even that non seat seat wearing Guzman mishpocha. Baruch Hashem yahweh Yes, Kevin Niebling, Carlos, they're not people don't understand your jokes. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. All right, all right. We have the Feast of Yahuwah upon us, brethren. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. We did some traveling this week, some traveling, looking at some feast sites. We looked at several feast sites um, in southern Oregon this week. It was great fun, great fun. I hope to be embracing you, hallelujah, worship at the Passover. So please, make plans to come up here for the Passover, April, Roman month, April 2nd, I believe. 2nd, 3rd, Tamara, help me out on that. The calendar is up on the website. On the 3rd, yes. So around that vicinity. So please, we will have a feast site ready and available. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah Yosef, so can you do a message or on this on how if Torah Jews were against selling slaves to the Europeans it's all about Christianity keep Torah originally so I did a teaching I think called the migration of Judah which gets heavily into the slaving and that the black American is mostly the house of Judah. Not all, but of course, mostly, and this we've talked about immensely in the past, and I called it, I think, the regal, as in kingly Negro, regal Negro of the house of Judah, and even that title Still, of course, triggered some on the lib left. But what can you do? You know, it is what it is. It was a term I was using from history because it is absolutely fantastic. The migration of Judah. Right? All right. All right, Much More Truth says, We are starting a new series on dovetailing in our mystery of Malkit Zedek study group. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Oh, yeah, we need to pray. We need to pray for the canoe the Canadians. Oh, it's terrible up there, isn't it? Fighting for their freedom. Everybody's fighting for their freedom, the world over, Right? The world blooming over. Yosef is active in the chat today. Brother Matt, please pray for me that my new boss for plumber apprentice Alan, please pray that I have favor, learn the job and pick it up fast. Let's pray for our brother Yosef that he gets blessed in his work and that he truly, truly be just like a young apprentice and pick up that work quickly, efficiently, and speedily. We pray blessings of multiplicity upon you, Yosef. Thank you for joining us on Shabbat. Wow, well, Jen Spurl says, The migration of Judah is one of the best Torah to the tribe's teachings. I don't know how many times I've listened. You know, I did that on a whim. I can't even remember. It was like I was on holiday, and um, I think I was talking to a couple of brothers, and I was like, man, yeah, you know. Uh, I can't. What was that? Yeah, I mean, it was. I think it was based upon looking on an ancient map. I picked up a map or something, and it was like from 17, such and it said, um, it said the kingdom of Judah on it, spelt J-U-D-A, and then it said Negro land on it, and then my head just started going, and I just had to dig deep, you know, and I was down the wormhole for weeks, and then I'm like, I'm going to share this. Coming from a white English guy, you know what, most probably going to upset some people. But may, but actually, I was surprised. I mean, it really, I mean, just, just. <laughs> I think it's one of our most popular teachings, just took off like a, It's li, it's liberating, it's liberating, you know, and that's why I'm always banging on about, we're a mixed multitude, we are a multi-ethnic group, we are Joseph's coat, and I love that, and I love seeing that at the feasts, I truly do. It's amazing. We have people from Pakistan, India, Africa, all over the world coming in, you know. Even English Vikings, yes. Noble Viking. Talk about Vikings against conversation therapy within ministry. Conversation therapy. don't know if I understand that. And Chris De La Rosa, leave it to Chris De La Rosa. He is talking about C4 plastic explosives. How that wingled its way into the Torah Pasha? I have <laughs> no bloody idea. But you are like that. You know, um, you know about plastic explosives. I mean, you never know. You never know. You never know. You may need them. You may need them. Right. Hmm. All right, my brothers and sisters. Jose, we'll finish with some scripture from Jose, and what do you think? Yitro was in the covenant meal with Yah, Exodus 18:12, 24, 5 and 11. And the next day he helped Moshe delegate obligations to judges. Exodus 18 through 18:13 18, through26. So they teach the covenant in Exodus, chapter 18, verse 20. He lightened the load and enabled it to come forward into its full fruition. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. That's a great way to end. Hey, I think I went, I went shorter today than normal, but that's a good change, isn't it, than me banging on for hours and hours on end. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Give us some thumbs up right now. Thumb it up. Thumb it up. The three of you that we don't know are three anymore because you got rid of the numbers. Give us a thumbs down right now just so that you can be demonically consistent. And Shabbat Shalom to the rest of you holy tribal brothers and sisters out there. Make plans to come to Passover. Please think, pray about supporting the ministry. And if you're watching this later, then leave us some comments in the comments section. Connect with your community six days a week. TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Yahuwah's blessings upon you, brothers and sisters. Shabbat Shalom.